This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and after what felt like a step forward against Chelsea, we took a step back and more I think against Bournemouth but we're here and we're going to go through it of course like we always do. We've got a full house for some reason, I thought someone might have dodged it and came up with some sort of excuse but no, everyone is dressed in black ironically and they want to get their teeth into what was a pretty disastrous day for Manchester United. On Saturday, but there's only one place to start. First question comes in to Andy from Drew in New Jersey. Andy, what type of cheese best describes Manchester United's performance? Because at Laurie Whitwell, I had probably 50 different people come up to me outside Old Trafford yesterday. I had enough on my plate as it was because it was raining, I was selling the magazine, asking me about cheese. I went for a drink on Friday night with two of my friends. The first thing they said to me was, Our eldest lad wants to ask, tell him to ask Andy Mitt about cheese I mean no one even calls me that and people coming up to me yesterday asking me about bleeding cheese right what's your question again <laughs> describe the result as cheese yes it described the result in a cheese yeah roughly yeah camembert because it's stank oh camembert nice is that a <laughs> yeah it's a French cheese isn't it <laughs> Camembert is, yeah, I don't know where Camembert's come from, but Manchester City fans, perhaps, that's the type of cheese that they eat, possibly. That's because you're from Oldham and you can't pronounce these sophisticated (laughs) things, but carry on. (laughs) Laurie, Carl, do you want to have a go at describing that performance in a cheese? It definitely stunk, yeah. Edam, loads of holes in it. Is that Dutch as well? Very topical. Dutch, yeah, fits, yeah. I, I do love cheese. I do. I mean, well, well, well Andy, you, you put a, in the group. Ball. You yeah. put a picture of the cheese that you had <laughs> on Saturday, and and you yeah. you try to claim that you were eating it for luck. So obviously, that's a horrendous ritual that will yeah. never last beyond another ninety minutes. Correct. But you, you sent a picture. It looks like the uh, the orange segment that you get for answering a question right uh, on Trivial Pursuit in in the leisure and sport uh, category. It, it looks like it's going to chip your teeth in. What's that? Well, blame Joel Glazer, not me. All I do is turn up, work, and take whatever food is on offer. Have a nice coffee, some of the staff in the press room, belting people. But yeah, in hindsight, looking at that cheese, which I took because I thought, if I start eating cheese at every match and we keep doing what we did against Chelsea, then we're on to something here. You could just eat cheese all the way through. Clearly, it didn't work because the performance absolutely stank. But yeah, 
There's an answer to your question, Mr. Journalist. Okay. Well, the cheese was crap. The match was crap. Um, Laurie, how bad was it? I mean, Andy's been asked to write a piece about the worst results at Old Trafford in Manchester United's Premier League history. There's a piece up on The Athletic, which if you really feel like doing it, and you can go over every single one of those, all 10. There's even slightly more than 10 because he's paired a few in there as well. Um, Mm. But bad as it gets, isn't it? I thought we were just going to filibuster this whole podcast with talk about cheese, so do we actually have to get onto the football now? Yeah, um, sorry, yeah. Okay. Um yeah, I, I tweeted it full time that it was it ranked among the you know, the worst results in post Fergie history and a lot of people were like, Oh, you're sensationalising it, you're going way too far there but to lose three 0 at home to Bournemouth, and it could have been more, you know. Clearly, and they actually scored a fourth, and you know this handball rule sort of saves United blushes on on this occasion you know, minimally, I suppose. I, I, don't, I don't think it did <laughs> yeah, really, but yeah, okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. I, with I don't it. know. Four nil at home. I don't know for some reason three nil. Okay, it's horrendous, but four nil is is a total embarrassment. Is, is that? Well, is, yeah, but it's I, the first time United have lost by three plus goals to a team starting in the bottom half in a Premier League fixture at home ever. That's a lot of caveats to get that stat together. Yeah, I must say, I did it. Didn't I? I've been practicing. We did say Bournemouth from a we good did. team, though, didn't we? we? Did. You know, Solanke, we good did. striker. I mean, Solanke. You know, you can... Andy can no longer make any Bournemouth jokes on this podcast again because they've just dropped three, <laughs> three on our heads at home. But I mean, Dominic Solanke is a centre forward that you know. I'm going to go there. United would he wouldn't be out of place playing for United. It'd improve United's team. That's clearly. damning. Carl, you're, you're wincing. Well, that's, what I'm saying, but, that's really uh, but, damning of Manchester United because Dominic Solanke, you know, <laughs> we'll, I'll, uh, I'll let's wheel it back a little bit. It's taken him a while to figure out how to be a proper Premier League football player. There was times at Liverpool and a couple, a couple of years at Bournemouth where it looked like he was nowhere near near the level, and he seems to finally put it together. But United should not be looking at players like Dominic Solanke's quality. What? No, we, we can't be longing for Dominic Solanke. I'm not, I'm not saying here, longing. Larry. I'm not I'm saying longing. And just to just to let listeners in on a, a little... Dominic Solanke would improve United right now. Absolutely. The fact that he would is damning to all the current strikers of Manchester United. And what about the defenders? Yeah. Because yeah. Dominic Solanke bullied that Manchester United defence yesterday. That's how good he was. Absolutely. In terms of the actual result and the performance, it, it was so disheartening because it had come off you know, the back of... The Chelsea win, which felt like, you know, again, United kind of pulling it together. But I mean, Critch, our mate, the piece that he wrote off the back of the game sort of encapsulated it perfectly by saying, you know, United feel like they've turned so many corners, they're going around in circles. We're at that point again in a managerial reign. And I suppose that's why it's it's so deflating because you just feel like it's just going to keep happening. Um, this kind of level where if they, they tried, United certainly rallied a bit in the second half, didn't they? Where they, you know, they were, they were kind of getting men in the box and and you know having the ball a little bit in in, in uh, Bournemouth's territory. But Bournemouth just looked like the more accomplished team when they when they, they got it on comfortable. the ball. Yeah, it looked like f- a frantic kind of hopeful kind of football from United, whereas Bournemouth had a strategy. And, and yeah, as Carl said about Dominic Solanke, I think that's also really damning. Andy, I tried to ask Bruno Fernandes after the game, you know, the, the, the commitment and the intensity of the Chelsea performance was was what stood out in the week with with what was supposed to be, you know, a, a team that Eric Ten Hag had, had picked to fully trust and to fully back and to move forward with. But uh, Bournemouth was the opposite, wasn't it? And I tried to ask him why and he, he, he couldn't really answer it. We tried to ask the manager the same thing. Why is this team so inconsistent? And it's because they're not good enough. 
And we go from the low of Newcastle last week, where our mood's on the floor, really, really poor performance, to the high of Chelsea midweek, where we're near euphoric because most of the team played well. The players are getting sevens and eights, nines, and then it drops right down. I was stunned by that result because for all their faults, Manchester United are pretty efficient at beating teams below them in the league. And that didn't look like happening from the first minute yesterday. It was one of them where right from the start, I thought Bournemouth are on this. I knew, and we spoke on the last podcast about how informed they are. You know that they're going to press I. But if we know that, it's up to Manchester United to find a solution at home. Conditions were awful. I didn't even know you were there, Ian. Were you sat right down by the pitch? Yeah, got soaked. Yeah, I was going to say, it was awful, wasn't it? And it was a stinker of a result. It was, we've had had lots of others this season and the whole team played poorly. I think, who was the best of a bad bunch? Harry Maguire in the first half. You're looking for leaders, you're looking for good performances. Up front, absolutely nothing, despite all of that possession. Very few chances created. Bournemouth were just hitting long balls in, winning them in the air, cutting through the midfield once again. We keep seeing this rinse and repeat pattern. And coming outside the ground yesterday, you know, people were criticising, not unfairly, the players, the manager. Is this just going to go on all season? And does this season just end with Manchester United being sixth? It feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah. I I don't see how it changes because every time you feel like they've they've got a new foothold and they've got a new platform or new result or new selection or system, whatever it might be, to build on, it then almost disappears as as quick as it came. So I, I don't see how the cycle breaks at the moment, really. I mean, Casemiro's on the grass again training. United have issued that update, which is obviously... You know, good news to have him back. Martinez is still a little bit away, but I can't even see those two returning and changing things completely, Carl, can you? No, not particularly. The fundamental problems are the same, right? There's a dearth of players that can that are comfortable in the first and second phase playing out the fresh. So, you know, you wanna you wanna build up the back, but you pass to your back four and there's not too many players that are comfortable receiving the ball when they're being pressed. You wanna pass into midfield. The best midfielder playing out the press right now is an eighteen year old who's barely played any minutes so you saw it what Bournemouth did from minute one they just went kick long press deep and eventually they're going to cough the ball up and also press really hard in central midfield because one of McTominay or Amrabat will cough the ball up this is how two of their goals come about because McTominay gets caught he's you know he's not great turning on the pressure and there's done um I'm writing a review of 2023 for the athletic this will go out sometime probably between Christmas and New Year. And I found a little factoid, which is uh, in the post-Ferguson years, Manchester United have finished with more than 70 points on three occasions. In the seasons after they finished with more than 70 points, they finished sixth. Every single time? So 17-18, finished with more than 70 points. 2021, on their early, finished with more than 70 points. That season was finished by the Ragnick season. Uh, and then last season, finished with more than 70 points. So... Manchester United sixth right now. I'm pulling the face, you know, listeners right now. Do you think Manchester United are going to finish higher than sixth place in the league? Do you think Manchester United are capable of finishing higher than sixth place in the league right now? It's it's a very odd quirk of boom and bust of this Manchester United team. Every time they have a good season, you think this is it. They're going to start being a proper top four team. They can start getting the Champions League quarterfinals. Is that to do, do we think, with players 
easy enough because they're, they're in the Champions League and, and we know how much of a factor that is in their salaries. Uh, is it to do with the Glazer spending, which we, you know, you can chart, it does kind of taper off uh, when they've made it into the Champions League places. It's difficult to pinpoint, I suppose. The one aspect of this team, I would say, is that it's so brittle. Uh, but you look at that 11 that were selected and it's a, uh, a left-back who was brought in on emergency loan. It's uh, a right-back who was signed years ago who was sent out on loan who we're kind of not really sure about at any point. It's a sort of left-back playing central central defence because uh, he's a left-footer and, you know, he's... You know, what Tanag prefers in that situation. A guy that was, you know, could have gone to West Ham in the summer. It's all sort of temporary fixes. You know, in midfield, you've got somebody who was signed on loan for a 10 million loan fee with only an option rather than an obligation because United clearly aren't that sure about making it a permanent um, deal when the summer comes. Uh, another midfielder who, you know, could have gone in the summer, you know, offers were entertained. And then you get to the striker who <laughs> has been available, you know, probably for transfer in the last three or four years. And, you know, clearly it's just not up to it. So it's, it's such, it feels like such a temporary team. So you're surprised by that kind of performance, really. Yeah, Laurie's absolutely right. I had a look at the spending Manchester United do in the summer windows after they qualify for the Champions League. And Laurie's correct. It does take a, it does take a hit in that you've got a, a Glazer ownership that will spend or allow money to be spent to get Manchester United in the Champions League. But once they're in there, they're like, okay, you'll be fine. Not realising that, you know, in the Premier League at this point in time, you've got a sprint to, to stand in place. I looked at that, you know, we've, we were very excited at that summer transfer that we said, oh, Anana, that's that's a Ten Hag style of player. Oh, Amrabat, he knows Amrabat, he's going to be able to work. Um and yet, it's not it's not coalesce. The the foundations that were so good about United last year have fallen apart, and that's made a lot of these newer signings come in. They've they've not been able to show their best, or, or I can't I can't make a case for any of Onana, Hoyland, Amrabat, Regulon doing really well. I I spoke about Regulon being really good in the second half against Chelsea, and I'm watching him against Bournemouth. I'm going, what happened? He was dreadful. He had a really yeah. poor game. He was he was one of the worst. And you don't wish it on anyone, but your job is to, you know, you're allowed, you're allowed to form your own opinion watching it. So how do we get out of this? You say last season, the best four players last season, you could say were Martinez, maybe Varane, Casemiro, Rashford. They're just, they're not, they're not featuring. Casemiro's back on the grass, you were saying. We started this season looking like he was on the grass. So <laughs> hopefully we'll come back and we'll see the last Casemiro from last season playing well, because he's a great player. I don't buy this line that his legs have just gone. But the people telling me that are professionals in football. I just can't see that you get to June and go, right, I'm finished as a player. I, I, it's got to be a system thing, that, hasn't it? Because even if you own him and his legs have gone, even, even if you run with that theory, then if you know that, then surely there's a system at play where you still can get the best out of Casemiro now. This version of Casemiro... Whether that's playing him, you know, alongside a Menu or um, playing him alongside even an Amrabat, I, you know, there's the, the surely a way to still get something out of him rather than just stick him in a position and say, well, his legs have gone, so that's what what the problem is. It was hoped that Amrabat would come in and be either Casemiro's deputy or be able to do some of the running next to Casemiro, and that hasn't worked because Casemiro's been injured a bit. Like when Sabitzer came in in January, the, the hope was he would be able to help stabilise things when Eriksen was gone, and then. Casemiro just wasn't there, so we never saw if Sabitzer could do the job for Man United. Um, but you're totally right. It, even if Casemiro's legs have gone, 
Um, there should be a way to get a lot out of Casemiro, even in a diminished physical capacity. Now, he didn't play against Bournemouth, so we, we, we can't comment too much. I think one thing that is getting really concerning, and Laurie's touched upon this, is you've got Luke Shaw, a left back, you know, your best left back playing at left centre back because you're so insistent on having a left footer for, for, for angles and orientation, as Ten Hag likes to talk about. And if that is the case, you need to have, surely the players need to be drilled really, really hard on what this left-footed structure is. Because it's such a compromise to take him away from left-back when you've got available you centre-backs. You know, you know, yeah. I've written it three or four times, Ten Hag's explained it. He wants left-footers at left centre-back and he wants left-footers on left side of the field because he wants passing orientations there and he wants to be able to build from back and pass well there. And then you saw Bournemouth, just a, a fairly well-organised and energetic press and whatever plan and whatever orientation you talk about just goes to dust. And and that's the problem, is that for all of the things Ten Hag says and all the things that, you know, all the things you can write about and say, well, Ten Hag wants to play football this way. We're not seeing it. And also, it seems to be easily compatible. But we're like, okay, fine. If you want to if you want to do your passing rotation on the left-hand side, we'll just put one man there and one man there and you, you try playing out of that and you can't because you're not well-drilled enough in it. or you, you can't do it to the level that a team that wants to be in the top four wants to. Can we just drill down then on a couple of the selections that Ten Hag made, both in the starting lineup and the changes that he made in game as well? First of all, in the starting lineup, Laurie, um, why do you think Rasmus Hoyland didn't start? And if it wasn't him starting, why do you think it was Anthony Martial and maybe not even Marcus Rashford, possibly, who obviously has played that that role previously under Ten Hag? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing to delve into. The Hoyland thing, is he capable of playing three games a week? You know, he came in with this back injury. He's obviously been used in a in a way that uh, he's not been running to the ground, I don't think. Um, you know, he's not been playing 90 minutes every single time he's, he's featuring. He also had a, a more recent injury, didn't he? And so I think Tenag has yeah. felt that he has to bring him back in gradually. And it's a hamstring as well, wasn't it? Which obviously, mm. you know, can be a load issue, can't it? Yeah. If he's not used to it. Yeah, and obviously Tuesday, Bayern Munich, uh, Sunday, Liverpool, you've got two big games coming up. You're hoping that at home to Bournemouth, Anthony Marshall can you know, pull a kind of performance like he did at Goodison out the bag and and do okay. Clearly, Tenag, in an ideal world, wouldn't be starting Marshall, I don't think. you know, He would want another striker in there that he could rely on consistently, but I think he felt that he got a decent tune out of him at Goodison, which was a, you know against a team that, okay, not as perhaps organised as Bournemouth in their press. But, you know, that they are they have that in them. And he did well there. So I think Tenag's probably basing it on that. And But then you're, you're exactly right in that could Marcus Rashford not have played up front? So I think that's an interesting thing to, to kind of ponder. I don't know if he felt that, well, Rashford's my guy off the left and I kind of want to make sure that when he comes back in, he is going to be in his preferred position. Um, I don't want to confuse things too much more. Can you see that happening? Because at the minute it feels like Garnacho is almost the yeah. only guaranteed selection in that front line. Yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe he changes it for the next time that, he, you know, maybe Rashford does start centre forward instead of Martial next time. I mean, I, I, I don't know, but I mean... He also will... was ill, I think, as well. He'd missed training yeah, yeah. Uh, on Friday, Rashford. Um, yeah, there is that, to be fair. That's, so that's, 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 that that's a key consideration. Yeah. That is a key point, yeah. But, I mean, but still, he could have come on earlier. Yeah, and Ten Hag before the game 
was absolutely unequivocal that Martial deserved his chance. That's what he said. He said, Anthony Martial deserves to start. He deserves his chance. Uh, Rasmus Hoyland's played a lot of games. We've got many games coming up. He's not used to playing three games every week. Uh, that's that's more or less verbatim what Ten Hag said. I've written a piece on the Marcus Rashford situation that kind of tries to address some aspects to it. Um, can't go into everything, but the way that you know, he kind of wears his emotions quite clearly. You know, he is quite moody around Carrington when United aren't winning and, and clearly that is happening more often than not. So does Tanag feel like it's getting too much for him? You know, he, he, he clearly, you know, feels a lot for the club given he's come through the academy and, and does Tanag think, well, the better choice here is just to kind of take him out the firing line a bit and kind of, I don't know, let himself get his head clear if that's an issue. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think clearly for someone who was absolutely essential to United doing well last season who you know, scored a career best 30 goals clearly he needed to be out of the team because he wasn't performing at the required standard but then starting Marshall over him even though it's not his preferred position I think is does raise a question mark at least I thought it was interesting the reaction to Marcus Rashford coming on it was very muted at Old Trafford when he replaced Garnacho, and that's a good barometer of how Manchester United fans are feeling about Marcus Rashford right now Anthony Martial, yeah, I get the reason for saying he deserves his chance. I watched him as he walked onto the pitch. He was praying, but those prayers weren't answered. He didn't get much service at all. Bournemouth did a number on United, to be honest. And he was the first to come off. Again, it's like, get off the pitch. And there were just no performers yesterday. I thought it was a tough afternoon for Garnacho, but I thought Adam Smith, who was up against, he's been around, he knows his stuff, but a lot of poor touches from Garnacho. But then he... Does a moment of brilliance. He, he turned and ran towards goal 20 minutes into the second half. And you're just hoping that one of these moments can produce an equaliser. But it, it didn't feel like that was ever going to happen against more Bournemouth. Once he got that lead, they were they were too well organised. And there's another point here, and it's an uncomfortable truth, but it's one Eric Tenag makes a lot. The rest are getting better. The rest are richer. The rest can buy top players from around the world. It's not really an excuse because Manchester United should be better and all the top teams need to compete with stronger opponents as well. But I remember years ago, three or four years ago, Bournemouth beating AC Milan to somebody and thinking that would be unheard of at any other point in football. But financially, every Premier League team now can bring in decent players. And as we saw with Bournemouth's manager, he's a top manager. He's going places. And what I said to him after the game was wasn't a one-off for him. He was the captain of the athletic club side who won emphatically at Old Trafford in 2012. And I said, you know, did that lead into you talking to your players before the match? And, and he said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's really illuminating with the discussion about Marshall in that, okay, Hoyland cannot play three games a week. Last season, Ten Hag was telling us Marshall can't play three games a week. And this was before the Manchester derby where he properly broke himself and now seems completely unable to sprint. Manchester United's front four has a teenager in Garnacho. Uh, you've got a 20-year-old in Hoyland who's, who's dealing with a stress fracture and, and some sort of hamstring injury, so therefore can't play three 90 minutes a week. The backup striker is Anthony Martial, who is probably going to leave on a free. I know, I know United can extend activate that additional year, but I'm going to assume they're not going to do that considering his physical condition. You've also got Anthony, who has been unconvincing for large swathes of this season, and a lot of defenders have figured out how to defend him. You've got Marcus Rashford, who is preferred on the left, but 
can do a job on you know can do a job at centre forward. I think it's interesting that even at this point in time, Ten Hag prefers Martial to Rashford up front because Martial's better with his back towards goal. You know, Martial is better at making those long balls stick. He's got a better first touch. He can't sprint and chase his own one twos anymore, but he can do that better than Rashford. So you've got a front four of players who are too young, players who can't play three times a week, players who are out of form. So that creates a extra additional problem on your midfield. And this is probably why Ten Hag has done so much around making sure Scott McTominay can get into the penalty area. But also when you do that, you leave your midfield completely open because McTominay's in the other penalty area, not by the centre circle where he's needed. And Iriola was was speaking, I believe, in, in the press conference. He said, we knew Bournemouth would get chances in the transition. So Manchester United right now are a very expensive team that has a bunch of players that can't really score for various reasons. Uh, they are, in order to try and get a goal, they're trying to get McTominay in the box. But when you leave McTominay in the box, that leaves loads of space open in midfield. Uh, and also in midfield and defence, if you press them really high, you can win the ball. So, yeah, it's it's no coincidence that a team like Bournemouth, that just has a pretty good, pretty to-the-point plan, can can 3 nil you. I was just looking at Hoyland's stats. He's only played uh, 90 minutes on four occasions this season so far. And he has done sort of three games in a week, but usually there's been, you know, a kind of substitution on the hour mark or something. So it's clearly something that is being managed. Um, yeah. And he's and he's a 20-year-old new to the league. You know, I think I said this before, like he shouldn't really be the guy that you are depending on week after week, game after game. Um, but because he was bought for, you know, a lot of money, you know, um, an inflated fee, you know, let's, let's have it right. Um, the kind of focus is then on him, but it shouldn't be that way. With and inflate your three asterisks, cheaper wages than Harry, than Harry Kane. Yeah, yeah. The last time I said this, it was about a player. It was about Jaden Sancho. So please forgive me. I think Hoyland's going to have a good Manchester United career. I did say that about Sancho. I think there's there's too much talent in there. I think he, he's he's his physical traits are great. I think his his match awareness is great, and I think he will come good one day. I don't think. I can't. It, it's really difficult to know when that's going to kick in. And the problem with Man United is they need him to be good two months ago. His, his mentality yeah. seems good as yeah. well, doesn't it, Carl? I think to, to, to sort of echo your point there and, and give hope for the future, he seems like a guy that's pretty strong-willed. Okay, last point on uh, the Bournemouth game, Andy. Raphael Varane was back in the squad after a back injury, but when Ten Hag had to bring a centre-back on, it was Johnny Evans and not Raphael Varane who, who came onto the pitch. Does Rafael Varane still have a place in this Manchester United squad moving forward or is he the sixth, seventh choice centre-back? That's it. And January looks like an opportunity to leave. I don't know what will happen in January. I don't think, given Tenag said, we don't plan to bring players in, that he'd happily offload players and weaken his squad, although he may be pushed to do that. Varane, for me, nothing's changed since when I said before the Fulham game that I didn't expect him to play. Something's clearly gone on there. And the manager is going with the players who he trusts and he could argue that quite strongly against Chelsea and he could argue it less strongly after that performance against Bournemouth. It's pretty sad when he's fit and playing well. Rafael Varane is one of the best defenders in the world and we're just not seeing it this season. I don't know how it ends up playing out. Right, OK. Well, if you want to read any more about Manchester United's humbling defeat to Bournemouth, their first ever home defeat in the history of the club to Bournemouth, then you know what to do. There's lots of articles on The Athletic, including Andy's rundown of the 10 worst ever Manchester United Old Trafford defeats in the Premier League. You didn't have to write that article. I had to wake up this morning at 7 o'clock because my editor was on my case to write that article. 
And I'm like comparing, oh, which was worse? Was it Norwich at home under Van Aal? Or was it Sheffield United or Burnley? And I'm trawling back and, oh, Liverpool, 5-0. Well, what would you put in as number one? Where would you put Bournemouth? Fortunately, I spoke to some esteemed academics at, at Yale University in America and we managed to get an exact formula. So all the answers are there. It's facts. It's not subjective at all. Do not disagree with any of them in the comments section. Thank you. Yeah, um, I echo that as well. Remember, if you want to get involved with that and you're not a subscriber, we've got a special offer on at the moment. Uh, you can sign up to The Athletic for a year uh, for a friend uh, or an enemy um, with a special <laughs> discounted price of $19.99. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Okay, well, if, if we thought, you know, taking on Bournemouth was a difficult task at the weekend, we've got the small matter now of the mighty Bayern Munich coming to Manchester. United need to win. Uh, to have any hope of continuing in the Champions League into the new year. Um, but they just got beat 5-1, didn't they? So it should be fine, yeah. Carl, shouldn't it? Van Dabby Dozy. No worries. Nothing like Bayern responding really well after defeat. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm going and I'm not going to get stressed out. I'm, I'm sure it'll I'm be fine. I'm going to be as zen as possible. I'm also going to bring the biggest bag of Maltesers so Andy doesn't have to struggle with cheese anymore. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, that's that. probably a good I idea. I don't think the fans yeah. should be zen. I think you should make an absolute racket against Bayern because this team needs the support. And against Bournemouth, you had a small pocket at the TRA next to the Bournemouth fans doing the best. Old Trafford needs to do a lot, lot better. Bayern made a racket when United visited in September. Copenhagen did as well. Galatasaray famously did. It's about old time Old Trafford turned up for a big European game. It's a huge match. There's so many different permutations to this against one of the best teams in the world. And just look at the names in that Bayern Munich side and think, how on earth did they lose 5-1 against Eintracht Frankfurt at the weekend? And you've seen players like Jamal Musiala coming off the bench. He was brilliant against United in, in, in Munich. Harry Kane, Coleman, Kimmich, Goretzka... Davis, Upikanu, Manuel Neuer. Just look at their bench. Thomas Muller, Serge Gnabry. <sighs> Come on, United. Pull it out from somewhere. Yeah, I don't know where they're going to pull it out from, but they need to. There's no doubt about that. And Nabry's out with a groin injury, so we know that we'll have to face him. He obviously scored in the 4-3 defeat over in Munich at the start of the group stage. Um, Thomas Muller, Laurie, said that they want to use that 5-1 defeat to Frankfurt, which Rafa Honigstein has described as bad news for Manchester United in an article. Yet another glorious read for Reds to catch up on ahead of Tuesday's game. Uh, he, he said they're going to use the result as an engine of anger 
<laughs> Thomas Muller. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds ominous. It sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? He's, he's got away with words, hasn't he, Thomas Muller? I remember being at a press conference previously, and he's he's, he's a sharp guy. Um, and I was just looking at um, <laughs> the previous defeats that Bayern have had this season. And, and to Carl's point, yeah, they lost the Super Cup to Leipzig uh, in the first match, went and beat Werder Bremen 4-0 uh, the next game. Uh, lost was, to Saarbrücken yeah. in yeah, the German yeah, Cup, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then that went was and... a disaster. They were like, "Are they third tier or <laughs> yeah, something like that?" Yeah. yeah. Well, then they went and beat Borussia Dortmund four 0 at the Westfalen oh. Stadium. So this is their third defeat of the season in all competitions. So if Bayern Munich continue that theme, uh, then United will be losing four uh, nil at Old Trafford, and I don't know what that says about the team and, and the situation of the club. But you never know. I mean, they do have this habit, as we just touched on, of. I don't know, having a spasm of, of um, unity and, and kind of togetherness. And I don't know, they, they might suddenly come together and think this is an occasion for us to try and really resurrect something. And I guess Bayern have looked a little bit shaky. And I know that, you know, that, that 5-1 sort of says it. But also even in Munich, you know, United did get at them. You know, they, they could create chances. Copenhagen in the last game over in Munich, you know, it was nil-nil and, and they had the chances as well. So, you know, Bayern haven't been too awesome in the Champions League this season. They've got 13 points. Manchester United have got four. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being not too awesome if it meant having half the points that Bayern Munich have had this season. Yeah. Um, let's spell out the permutations, Andy. You said before uh, there are quite a few, and there yeah. are. So, basically, for United to go through into the knockout stage of the Champions League, they need to beat Bayern and hope that FC Copenhagen and Galatasaray draw. There's a piece on The Athletic explaining this by Omar Garrick, which is interesting because he says there's been 18 previous instances since 2003-04 season of teams facing off on match day six while they've been level on points, which is exactly what Copenhagen and Galatasaray have done. And out of those 18 matches, only one of them has finished in a draw. So it seems pretty unlikely that that's going to happen this time around. But you never know. If Manchester United do beat Bayern and there's a winner in the Copenhagen-Galatasaray game, it means that Manchester United go through to the Europa League and they'll have a playoff again like we had against Barcelona last year where in the new year we'll take on one of the teams who finished runner-up in their Europa League group. Obviously, that will be finalised this week as well. If Manchester United draw, they can still qualify for the Europa League, but that then needs a Galatasaray win in the other match. That would mean that we are level on points with Copenhagen. The head-to-head record against them would cancel each other out, both in terms of results and goals. Uh, but United would then go through in third place in their Champions League group because of their overall goal difference in the group being better than Copenhagen. If Copenhagen were to win their game against Galatasaray and United draw, United are out of Europe. If United lose, they're out of Europe. Still following? Yeah. I tell you what, it would be a massive failure if Manchester United go out of Europe. That would be, not even finishing in the top three, would be a, a huge failure. I'm more comfortable with going into this Europa League now play against FC chicken and chips or whatever, even if we miss out on the Real Madrid or the Barcelona, because this team is nowhere near good enough to be winning the Champions League. Get a confidence building, run in that Europa League, and it's much better for squad as well. Uh, I know that the coaching staff definitely feel that, but I also know the accountants at the club will be thinking keep in the Champions League because that's where the dough is. Yeah, I guess, Laurie, the question is, for Manchester United's season... We sort of talked about this previously, but obviously quite a bit more water has passed under the bridge since the last time we asked this question. 
would it be a good thing for United to have extra matches in the new year and, and Thursday night trips and all that sort of stuff? Or given, again, what we've seen over the last few weeks, is it just better for United to be out of Europe for their, their league chances? What what do you think? I had the feeling that it would be better for United to be in Europe, even in Europa League, uh, just because you've actually got a pretty sizable squad still even with all these injuries where you got we're talking about players that aren't being picked you know um, and, and how that will probably ruffle their feather as well okay at least having another competition provides opportunity to rotate the squad and, and keep things fresh then again if they do go out of Europe entirely you'd think right this is Ten Hag's chance to actually instill some proper you know uh, systems and strategies at the training ground you know because we haven't we aren't really seeing it right now and i know that's the, the big caveat is the fact that his team is changing all the time he's obviously a part of the team changing all the time he's he's making influential decisions on some of those um personnel it's not just injuries but i think I don't know, my, my gut would always be United should be in Europe and even if it's the second tier competition then that's still something that they should aspire towards. Well I think we're all in agreement with that to be fair Laurie, that was me posing the question that I didn't even believe myself to be honest but um, that's what we do at times, we play a little bit of devil's advocate. Let, let's have a look at the team then Andy, I mean it, there was two changes wasn't there for the Bournemouth game from the Chelsea win, uh, that was Martial starting instead of Hoyland and obviously the other one was enforced with with Regulon coming in for, for Victor Lindelof. He only missed the game with a knock, so I'm not sure whether he'll be available or not for this Bayern game, but what would you do? Well, if Lindelof comes back, then I, th- I think he does start. I thought he played well at Everton a couple of weeks ago. I don't even think he was too bad uh, against Chelsea. Um, and that would mean Luke Shaw at left-back. I think Luke Shaw at left-back makes Manchester United significantly better than any of the other left-backs there. Going forward in front of that, I'm just looking at who the players are available. Kobe Mainu, maybe, over over Amrabat. That, that, there's maybe a discussion point there. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a hell of a occasion for an 18-year-old to be thrust into. Yeah, it is. And that's one for the, the manager. I don't, I don't know the answer. I just think if he plays well, great. He's gone for it. But Amrabat played well against, against Chelsea. That was probably his best Manchester United performance. But where are the goals coming from? Then again, it's Europe, innit? We score loads of goals. Hoyland gets his hat-trick and away we go. Hoyland's pretty much the top goal scorer in the Champions League. So it's not goals we have to worry about. It's letting him in at the other end. We know Nana needs to have a clean performance, <laughs> Carl, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We want the one who saves the last-minute penalties against Copenhagen as opposed to the one who does the other things against Galatasaray and Bayern in the first game. Absolutely, absolutely. I would go with Kobe. Kobe, come on, lad. I know. I will go with Kobe <laughs> Boateng Minu in central midfield next to Sofian Amrabat. Amrabat. Um, Amrabat. I would go. I'll go there. Um, I, I just, I just think United you know, need more stability in that. Okay, McTominay's in, in good-ish goal-scoring form, but you can't have that five minutes of disaster where you can see two yeah. goals. Mm. You need to be able to 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 play out of pressure, and uh, yeah, it's time to get a bit boring and a bit dour. So that'd be my midfield pairing for that game. Probably agree with Carl there. The only thing is, McTominay's. I suppose I suppose if goals aren't the issue in the Champions League, we've decided that Hoyland's going to turn up. Last twenty five minutes, <laughs> unleash Scott. <laughs> unleash Scott. All right, we know this tactic works with him. Works to an extent with him crashing the box. But I want to see it in 25 minutes spurts yeah. at the end of games, not 90 minutes. I, I think that's the only decision, really, time. isn't it, for Tanag? Because the, the, front, the front four, do you not think? I, I think he just, 
unless he brings Rashford back, unless he thinks big game, well, that, here comes that's, Rashford. That's the debate, isn't it? But where do you what, instead of Garnacho? Garnacho or Anthony? Yeah, I, just, I don't think Rashford likes playing on the right. I just don't think he. I don't think he. I, I don't know. I think the the things that he's asked to do in that position don't come naturally to him, and I think it then takes away from what he can do in an offensive sense. So I think if you were but it didn't feel like you know 10 minutes against Bournemouth and again I know he had an illness but it didn't feel like he was being primed for a kind of big return against Bayern um, so I suspect that Tenag will go with Garnacho again and, and Anthony and Hoyland and, and Fernandez. but you know I, I mean to be fair you know Rashford's come off the bench against the German team in Europe and scored a hat-trick so um, you know maybe that's part of the formula In Germany he started with Palestri on the right I got told off yesterday outside the ground for my pronunciation of Pellistri, so I apologise for that, although we did get credited for, for saying Cobby right, even though Carl can't say it right, even though Carl's from well, Ghanaian heritage. You right. always say Pellistri right, don't you? Yeah, of course I do. Well, apparently not. Facundo. Pellistri. Sometimes I interviewed him last week, actually. What, what did you call him? Frank. Facundo, yeah, it was quite easy, that bit. Um, his godfather is one of the most famous rock stars in Uruguay, um, which I, I basically the question was, tell us something we don't know about you. And um, it turns out that his godfather is literally one of the most famous South American rock stars ever. Um, wow. I should look this up. I didn't know that. What's his name? Palestri's godfather is a guy called Sebastian Tessera, uh, who is in a band is a lead singer of La Vela Puesa, which I think I've pronounced correctly. Do you know what that means in um, English? No. The sailing pig. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, if that pigs might the fly, then United might get through in the Champions League. There oh, we go, no, that's lad. a spirit. Come lad. on. Give us a blast then, <laughs> what, we, what we're listening to pre-match on Tuesday. Well, I'm not sure. Here we go. Yeah, I'm not sure that's going to set quite the right tone, but we've tried, haven't we? Yeah, we don't send them to sleep. <laughs> what win the match? Yeah. Oh, I tried anyway. You did. I thought that might Come be on, a, a good idea. Come on, let's get behind the team against Bayern. Come on, that, everyone. That's more like it. That's more the spirit Massive that we want, night. right? Send them packing back to Bavaria <laughs> with English cheeses. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's happening. There's no doubt about that. Hopefully Manchester United bring it and aren't listening to La Vela Puerca in the build-up to the match. But thank you so much, as always, for listening to Talk of the Devils. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Laurie, as well. We'll be back. Whatever happens against Bayern, we'll be cuddled up in the press box after the game, recording together, sharing a box or a bag of Maltesers. We'll speak to you then. Take care. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Sabe valorar que de turista en la capital han sabido vagar y no han encarado al fin la cruda realidad de respirar o shin. The Athletic.